0: financially independent at 27. What do I mean? Five years ago, as you may have heard in the last podcast, I was living at home. I didn't really know what I was doing with my life and I had this dream after hearing a podcast of moving to Chiang Mai to live as a digital nomad, making money online. Flash forward to those five years and I have to kind of pinch myself because here I am, start recording this podcast in. apartment in chiang mai so in this episode i want to share five steps i took to become financially independent at 27 and how you can potentially do the same let's jump in before we jump into today's episode i want to give a special mention to one of my supporters and that is semrush i'm a huge fan of this platform That's because SEMrush is one of the biggest players in the SEO space, and I've been using the platform's tools since 2019. They're super easy to use and give you practical, actionable insights to help improve your website's SEO. Now, as a listener to this podcast, you can get a special 30-day free trial of SEMrush. All you have to do is check out the link in the show notes and claim your 30-day free trial. You can cancel before the 30 days are up, so you won't have to pay a penny. And if you're looking to improve your website's performance on Google, then yes, I highly recommend checking it out. So simply go to the show notes, check out the link to SEMrush and claim your 30-day free trial. All right, so I'm going to share five steps to help you become financially independent. I'm 27, but even if you are older than this or younger than this, that's okay because these steps are applicable nonetheless. So let's jump into it. Step number one, it's an unusual place to start, but actually I think it's the only place to start, and that is to try some sort of therapy. Now I know what you're thinking. Hear me out. I don't necessarily mean like talking therapy or traditional therapy, although I found that incredibly helpful. What you could do instead is actually launch a podcast, and you don't even have to release it. Just start talking into a mic, see what comes up. If you've got something on your mind, it always helps to to kind of get it out there. I did an episode back in uh, when was that? Probably 2019, I believe, or 2020 after hearing about my dad's because I didn't actually know that he existed for one thing uh came very much out of the blue and left me in a bit of a, a bit of a tailspin so I spoke with my therapist I did a bunch of you know journaling all this sort of stuff because I was really in this place quite a dark place where I was like okay why am I here like you know I was clearly an accident wasn't meant to happen um and yeah I had a lot of kind of tough conversations with myself so what I did is I uh had a 20-minute podcast episode where I just started ranting about my dad and all the feelings I had about him and the situation and it was super helpful, super cathartic. Um, The episode itself was an absolute car crash, like I'm surprised anyone listened to it, but surprisingly people did and unsurprisingly I suppose people reached out and said, you know, really good of you to like share that and to um, put you know, yourself in this uncomfortable situation of revealing something so emotive and to, you know, just to kind of get it off your chest. And some people even went as far as kind of telling me their own stories about family issues and things. And it made me realize that actually everyone has their own stuff, has their own baggage. And, you know, sharing it, it helps you connect with other people because people connect to rough edges. They don't connect to, you know, Teflon. So, yeah, I think it helps to, to share that stuff, but clearly you don't have to do that. Writing on Medium I found also to be very cathartic, particularly in the early days. Again, I was talking about my dad, about relationships, dating mistakes, all this sort of stuff, and... Yeah, I find that incredibly helpful. So those are just two ways. If they seem very intimidating, you don't want to you know, put content out there. You don't want to go to a traditional therapist. Um, something else I did with my friend Jacob is we went to a free meditation group in London when I was visiting him. Uh, he goes regularly. And again, that was a really nice, safe space where you could just share whatever was on your mind. It didn't have to be deep stuff. It could be things that were niggling you or... You know, you didn't have to share anything. It was just a space where you could you could kind of share those thoughts. So, really, really helpful. So, those are four things. And the reason I kind of bring up therapy and non traditional therapy method first is because your mindset they say it's eighty percent of the game. I'd i agree. With, I'd say it probably more ninety percent. I really like this phrase coined by the founder of Morning Brew, Alex Lieberman. He said, "You've got to try and build your mental health stack." So you might have heard this term tech stack where people talking about the software they use in their businesses and what equipment they have, hardware, software, whatever it is. But something people don't talk about is their mental health stack. Because managing your mental health is a full-time job. You know, we are bombarded with information, emotions, things people are trying to get reactions out of us. And it's helpful to have some sort of, you know, some sort of tools that you can turn to a mental health stack as you will to kind of help with any anxiety you might experience or um, kind of lower the fluctuations so yeah what alex does he said that when he's not taking care of sleep exercise and diets for more than three days his baseline anxiety kind of moves from a three or four to a six or seven so those are three things just to kind of keep aware of keep an eye on Um, but he also has a therapist a, a coach and he reads lots of books about this stuff so You don't necessarily have to build your own mental health stack but it's a nice nice thing to think about for me personally yep still see a therapist when uh, i need to i journal regularly i uh, make sure that i'm eating well sleeping well getting exercise and just generally try and stay healthy Um, but it's an ongoing battle Uh, something else i do which you may find helpful is me and my friend jacob again we have a weekly whatsapp routine where every week we do this thing called outsourcing our worries to each other. So once a week I share a worry that's on my mind uh, every Monday. He does the same and we basically hold each other or kind of share these worries but we also hold each other accountable to three goals for the week. So they can be big or small, usually mine revolve around writing, Jacob's usually revolve around running and fitness and that's been a really really helpful exercise. So Between all of those tools, whether it's therapy, non-traditional therapy, WhatsApp routines, uh, looking after your mental health stack, yeah, hopefully those are some things. Because yeah, I truly believe that once you get your mindset right or kind of in a good healthy spot, then the other stuff kind of takes care of itself. Um, Which leads me on to step number two. And again, this seems like an unusual step to throw in here when we're talking about financial independence, but I think... Uh, an exercise you could try to kind of alleviate any concerns, any fears you might have about quitting your nine to five um, with an exercise called fear setting. So if you've read any of Tim Ferriss's books, then I'm sure you'll have heard of this. But basically what I want you to do maybe now as we go through this podcast is to grab a pen and paper and I want you to capture your fears on paper. So anything related to, you know, fears around quitting your job or imposter syndrome or feelings of inadequacy or anything that's holding you back from trying to make money online and become a digital nomad, get it on paper. And once you've done that, I want you to define the fear. So be really specific. You know, Is it a case of you're worried that you're not going to make enough money each month to pay your bills? Perfectly legitimate fear, by the way. Um, you, know, you don't want to diminish these fears. And then once you've defined the fears, however many there are, I want you to think about how you can prevent this fear. So in the case of paying your bills, could you build up a nest egg? And that would therefore look after you know your situation for six months, twelve months, however big you build your nest egg. Or could you make sure that you've got enough income streams coming in before you quit your job to, to pay your bills? So that's potentially how you can prevent it. And then the third pillar, if you like, is to repair any situations that happen. So, let's say the worst case comes to head. So, you quit your job, you realise that your income streams have dried up, you can't pay your bills, then what? How are you going to repair the situation? Well, one step in this example could be to get another job. And, you know, it might not be the most glamorous job in the world, it might be a quote-unquote step down in status, but... It would be a way to, to pay your bills so that's one way to you could repair it you could ask family and friends for money again this is a worst case scenario so you clearly will not want to do that but if worse came to it in this situation you could i'm sure ask family and friends or colleagues at, you know past colleagues at work or whoever you could you could make it work and if you know there's in the uk at least there's things like food banks where If you're struggling to put meals on the table, you can go to charities and they can actually help you with getting food. So, those are some examples, and it's easy to, you know, once you've identified the fear in your head and you don't get it on paper, it's easy to let it get away from you and think, okay, shit's gonna hit the fan. Like, you know, if I don't get a job, I'm screwed. Like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to live and 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 sustain myself reality is there's always solutions it's just you've got to try and identify them up front because i've been there being in a place where you can't pay your bills or it doesn't have to be money related by the way it could be fears of failure you know embarrassing embarrassment you could publicly try a project document it on social and then you know it goes goes to pot that's happened to me a couple of times and that's okay like you know no one really in this case really cares that much everyone's kind of preoccupied with their own things but that's another discussion for another day but yeah basically step two try and do some fear setting i do it weekly even now whenever i feel like oh there's something niggling away at me part of my journaling practice i write down what my fears are and then do this tim Ferriss exercise of defining them preventing them and then repairing them step number three is to step on the conveyor belt. What do I mean by this? I loosely, I think, I might not have done actually, I I don't think I did, but I was going to share this story about making a cricket protein bar in the last podcast um, called Scott Bar. Terrible name. (laughs) And the project itself didn't really go anywhere. But basically my idea was to put crickets, yes, crickets as in insects, into protein bars and then sell them in supermarkets. And I took it really seriously. Like I documented it on Instagram, you know, the steps to building this business. I pitched to supermarkets, uh, Selfridges, Harrods. I had these uh, brand boards made up, mocked up by a design agency that basically featured the packaging of Scott Bar, what it's going to look like. I experimented with recipes in my mom and Rich's kitchen. I uh, yeah did a bunch of other things, started a podcast all about Scott Bar. <laughs> yeah, did a bunch of bunch of things and... Yeah, ultimately, the project didn't go anywhere. But by stepping on the conveyor belt, experimenting, trying stuff, it did lead to the podcast. Podcast led to me ultimately creating my first Udemy course and making money online. This opened the door to Zero to Mastery, which is a platform that I now instruct on about SEO and get paid with my online course. And ultimately, it all led to writing and um, being a freelancer. So long story short, just by experimenting in public and online, trying stuff, scratching any itches they have to try and, you know, make money online. Yeah, nine times out of ten, they will actually lead somewhere. Not directly, but indirectly. And I would encourage you to step on that conveyor belt. It is scary because 99% of people are kind of watching you on this conveyor belt. You know, not many people are participating, but good things can happen to those who just put themselves out there. And uh, yeah, I, I truly, truly believe that. So Step on the conveyor belt, see what might happen. Uh, Step number four, a bit more of a practical suggestion this, is if you are thinking of um, taking a leap into solopreneurship, making money online, being a digital nomad, then I would encourage you to build a savings cushion. I recommend at least six months of savings. Ideally, you want a year's worth of savings just to kind of alleviate any fears that you might have. Again, going back to that fear setting practice. And it's important to note that this isn't like F you money. You know, this is just a financial safety blanket in case shit hits the fan. And in case, you know, COVID, for example, that was a thing which affected many, many businesses. And if they didn't have any savings or any other sources of capital, then, yeah, they ultimately went under. So always good to have these cushions in place. And some further conditions I would encourage you to set up before, you know, you think about quitting your job would be to try and get at least one steady client slash source of income, whether that's online courses or freelancing or, you know, you might be, have some uh, video editing skills. You might be a podcast producer. You might, you know, insert the blank. There's a million ways to make money online. So see if you can, you know, try and make $10 from your bedroom because once you've made $10 from your bedroom, the jump to 100 and then 1000 isn't actually as big as you might think. It is just that initial $1, $10, which yeah, really, really changes the game. So, see so if you can get at least one steady source of income. Ideally, you wanna try and replace your monthly nine to five income as soon as you can with the money you make online. Again, whether that's through freelancing, blogging, insert the blank, um, that is more difficult to do and you might not be able to do that before you quit your job. But again, if you can get to that place, even better. And I think as well having a proven process to bring in new sources of income. Again, in my case, uh, landing high-value clients. But for you, it could be, um, yeah, whatever the, the method you use to make money online is. I just think again, this just alleviates any fears that you might have about you know income streams running dry or feeling that this isn't sustainable. Things like that. Yeah, really, really helpful. So. Build a savings cushion if you can. I recommend at least six months, preferably a year, and then think about those further conditions before quitting your job. And then finally, probably one of the more important steps actually, is to start building a portfolio of work. What do I mean? It is as it sounds. I want you to think about building, creating content, or putting together an online portfolio that showcases your best work, whether that's in my case, writing, or it could be videos, it could be podcasts, yeah, whatever kind of related activity it is, because that's just the best way to attract clients in my experience. That's basically how I've attracted two or three of mine. Um, Admittedly, I've applied to a couple as well, but once I kind of got my foot through the door, it was the portfolio of work on Medium and my website that kind of carried me. So yeah, that's super helpful. And if you want to kind of take it a step further, you could even turn this portfolio into a library of digital assets. So for example, I turned my outsourcing systems, which I had in my Google Drive, um, into an online course. And obviously that now makes me money. So that's, again, something to consider. You might have a bunch of stuff which you don't realize is valuable. You know, you might have it stored away in a Google Drive or in a OneDrive folder. And yeah, if you actually just started to repackage it and put it onto a platform like Udemy or Skillshare, then yeah, that could potentially be an asset that brings in new income. Um, so yeah, worth worth checking that out. Important things with this, building a portfolio. You're not gonna get it right first time. I'd say my first 60 pieces of content, I wasn't entirely happy with them. It's only in the last like year or so, I suppose, or last probably six months where I feel like my writing's got to a standard where you know I feel I can command higher prices from clients. So you just have to like, yeah, Put in the reps, learn, repeat, and try not to have any expectations. You know, don't expect anything for the first 12 months. Just let the chips fall as they may. And, uh, and this is something I've spoken to a lot of writers about. And in particular, when people reach out to them and say, you know, what should I do to improve my writing? Like, can you look at this piece of content and give me suggestions? And I always say to people that I will look at your work if you send me you know, if you've done 50 pieces of content, send me a 50th. I'll then take a look. Carl uh, Sodi, she does the same. And in my experience and in her experience, no one ever takes you up on this. No one ever sends that 50th article. So put in the reps, build that portfolio, and yeah, don't have any expectations. And believe it or not, those are my five steps to become financially independent. Now, I know what you might be thinking. They might seem a little bit woolly, a little bit like... You know, where's where's the practicality of like you know, I should be doing this income stream, or I should be taking these steps on Facebook, whatever, whatever it is. I think it's important to have the principles in place. You can learn the strategies; you just Google them. But actually, it's the principles of you know managing your mindset, looking after your um, mental health, building a portfolio of work, building that savings cushion. Those are more long-term plays which will pan out in any scenario. And then you can just stack the money-making bits on top and just Google them. And I'm going to give you some suggestions. So I know it sounds very um, bit of a cheap way out for me. Now, I'm going to give you some strategies in a future episode. But until then, yeah, nail down the, the principles. And those are my five steps. So I hope you found this episode helpful. If you did enjoy it, then I do believe you'll enjoy my email list as well. I send an email to my list once every two weeks about making money online, digital nomadism, traveling the world, and all that sort of good stuff, writing, etc. So if you want to get those emails to your inbox every other Thursday, then yes, you can do that, entrepreneurscomparty.com, the place to check out. Sign up to my email list and you'll also get a free 19-page guide where I basically share everything I've done up to this point in the last five years to build and transition out of a nine-to-five job into a profitable and sustainable solopreneuring. So yeah, go to entrepreneurscomparty.com to sign up for the list. Until then, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you in the next episode where I talk about your perfect day, what that looks like. It's a good one. I'll see you there. Bye for now.